Lord, pray that you help us understand a, a tough scripture. Open your word to us and help us to know you better and be more like you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A while back, I was driving with my kids in the back seat of the car, and we came up on a yellow light. And because they spent the first couple years of their life in California, they know exactly what a yellow light means. Green means go, red means stop, and yellow means exactly my point. But the guy in front of us apparently was raised in Nebraska or something and slammed on his brakes. So then I slammed on my brakes, and then I heard from the back seat of the car one of my kids say, Come on, buddy, move it! And I thought, I wonder where they learned that. Must be their mother. And then my first thought was, I hope they didn't say that to someone at church, right? Come on, buddy, move it, right? Pastor's kids. That's just a minor example of a major problem we all have. Sometimes there is a divide between what we say we believe as Christians and what we actually do. In other words, we are hypocrites. Between now and Easter, I'm doing a series of sermons called Why I Am Not a Christian, even though I am a Christian. And I'll be talking about objections people have to the Christian faith. And I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions, but hopefully just get a conversation going. And certainly one of the major objections you hear people have to the Christian faith is that the church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites, saying one thing and doing another, right? Christians talk about the love and forgiveness of Jesus, but then they're mean and judgmental. They worry about things like cussing, but then neglect the needs of the poor. They put on their Jesus face when they're at church and look all nice and shiny, but then they start yelling at each other, come on, buddy, move it, on their way out of the parking lot. Christians are hypocrites. Now, my answer to that charge is, yep, that's right. Christians are hypocrites, myself included. I'm a big one. But to me, that's not surprising because people are hypocrites. Hypocrisy isn't a Christian problem. It's a human problem. When I was at Stanford, there were several professors in the English department who were devout Marxists. They were always talking about taking from the rich and giving to the poor. But they were some of the top paid professors in the department. And they were always asking for a raise. One year, they... Uh, they went to a Marxist convention in San Diego and rented a yacht uh-huh, and had an open cash bar. Think about it. Marxist cash bar. Kind of a contradiction, don't you think? They weren't Marxists. They were Neiman Marxists. <laughs> Hypocrisy isn't a Christian problem. It's a human problem. And like all human problems, it's one that Jesus came to solve. And of all the human sins, hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy, seemed to really get on Jesus' nerves, as you can tell from the passage that we just read, where Jesus lectures the religious folk of his day. He calls them hypocrites, which was originally a Greek word that meant a stage actor who wore a mask. And Jesus is the first person in history to use that as a moral term, because the religious folk in Jesus' day were good actors. They gave the right amount of money to the temple, but they weren't loving. They strained their water so they wouldn't swallow a gnat, because that would make them ritually unclean. But then they'd neglect to take care of the poor. They were good actors, looking all religious and gussied up on the outside, but inside they were cold, selfish, and unloving. Religious people have always been a problem for God. 
And the reason this bothers Jesus so much is it's the exact opposite of what he wants to do in our lives. You see, Jesus doesn't want phony saints. Jesus doesn't want pretend good people. What Jesus wants from us is two things. And the first is this. Jesus wants us to admit that we are broken, sinful people in need of his forgiveness. What Jesus wants from us isn't a lot of pride about how good we are. Look at all my good deeds. Don't you just love me, Jesus? What he wants is that we simply say, I am messed up. I am broken. I am full of sin. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Thank you that you paid the price and died so that I could be forgiven. That's all he wants. In my opinion, hell will not be filled with a lot of bad people. Hell will be filled with a lot of good people who are really proud of all their good deeds. And wouldn't that get on your nerves, right? Don't want to be there, right? Goody goodies running everywhere. That's hell to me. Hell will be filled with people who are just so sure that they are so good that they don't need Jesus to forgive them. Heaven, on the other hand, will be filled with sinners and wretches like me who know they need a Savior. On my way in this morning, I, uh, I greeted one of the people who go to our church and I said, Hello, how are you? And he said, Well, I'm not good, but I'm doing fine. And I said, Good theology. It fits perfectly with the sermon. Jesus just wants us to admit that we need him to forgive our sins. But it doesn't stop there, because if it did, that would be just kind of depressing, right? I'm a worm, and I'm only getting wormier. Right? That's not uplifting. So Jesus wants to do a second thing in our lives. And that is he wants to transform us from the inside out so that we become authentically good people. And this is what makes Jesus so radical and so unique. He's the first person in history to do this. He doesn't offer a moral system. He's not concerned if we obey or conform to a bunch of outward rules, which is what most religions are about. What he wants is something much deeper. He's after something much deeper in us. He wants what the author Dallas Willard calls a renovation of the heart, a transformation from the inside out. It's the difference between cosmetic surgery and a facelift. Right? So much of religion is like a facelift. It, it leaves you looking good on the outside, but inside you're still wrinkly. A heart transplant, on the other hand, you can be 90 years old and get the heart of a 20-year-old. And something that was unhealthy and diseased gets replaced with something new and strong and healthy. That's what Jesus is after. He doesn't care if we look good. He cares that we are good. And the only way this is going to happen is if we immerse ourselves in a relationship with him. Jesus uses the example of a dirty cup. He says, so much of religion is like cleaning the outside of the cup. You know, I will not lie. I will not cuss. I will not say, come on, buddy, move it in traffic. I'll go to church. And it looks okay on the outside. The problem is inside, it is still dirty. I still think vile thoughts. I still judge people. I'm still mean. I still ignore God. And Jesus says, the only way you can really clean this cup is if you immerse it in a sink full of soapy water. And then you can't help but clean the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup at the same time. That's what Jesus wants from us, a full immersion in a relationship with him so that we are cleaned inside and outside, so that we are made new. And no one ever thought this thought before Jesus. This is a radical new thought, that, that our deeds are just the overflow of our heart. So don't worry about the deeds. Don't focus on the deeds. Focus on the heart And the deeds will follow. And 
And the only way you can get this kind of renovation of the heart is if you connect with Jesus in a deep way. You can't just try harder, right? You just can't say, I will not yell, I will not lie, I will not say, come on, buddy, in traffic, right? You'll just get frustrated and pretty soon, come on, buddy, move it, right? I mean, it's just, that's not going to work. Willpower alone doesn't do it. The only thing that truly changes us is an intimate connection with Jesus. Because Jesus is the best person that ever lived. And if we can connect with him, we will become like him. And there are a couple of ways that we connect with him. There are a couple of ways that we can deepen a relationship with Jesus. The first is prayer, just by talking to him. The second is by reading the Bible. Because if our deeds are the overflow of our hearts and our minds, if we fill our minds with God's thoughts, then pretty soon what will begin to flow out of us are God's deeds. Community helps us to connect to Jesus and be transformed. If we're around people who know Jesus, we get to know him better. We get to become like him. And finally, obeying his commandments helps us connect with Jesus and be transformed. And we don't obey his commandments to look good on the outside or to conform to a bunch of rules. That's not it. That's not the point of obeying his commandments. It's because those are the ways he trains us to be like him. It's like learning to play the piano. At first, you have to practice and do the drills, right? You have to do the scales and all that. But then after a while, it becomes second nature, right? You'll notice that our keyboard, keyboard player, Stacy, you notice that she wasn't over here having to stop and figure out each note before she played it, right? She wasn't over here going, every good boy does fine. F, great, right? That would have been a difficult worship experience, right? She doesn't have to do that. It's second nature to her. It's muscle memory to her because she's practiced it so much. And it's just become something she's internalized. It's the same way with Jesus' commandments. They're the ways he trains us to become like him. At first we do it with our will, but then it becomes who we are naturally. It becomes second nature to us, literally. To not obey Jesus and wonder why we're not being transformed would be like never practicing the piano and wondering why you'd never been invited to play Carnegie Hall. And this is one of the reasons that we've been talking about serving our community in our Jubilee year. One is to show the world that we're not hypocrites, that we're trying to make our deeds and our beliefs line up. But the other is because as we serve, as we obey Jesus, we become more like him. Now, you might want to object. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You were talking about being authentically good. Now, let's just say I don't want to obey Jesus. Let's say I don't want to read the Bible, right? Wouldn't I be a hypocrite if I did? Wouldn't I be inauthentic? I mean, sort of feeling one way and doing another thing. Wouldn't that be inauthentic? No. Authenticity is not being authentic to our worst self. You know, hey, I'm a jerk. Aren't I authentic? No, you're a jerk, right? That's Real authenticity is being authentic to our deepest self, deep down, I think what all of us long for is to be good, is, is to be like Jesus. We don't want to be sinful and, and, and selfish. I mean, on the surface, maybe we do, but deep down, I think we want to be good. Real authenticity is being true to that deeper self, what Lincoln called the angels of our better nature. And when we do these things, when we pray, when we read scripture, when we're in community, when we obey Jesus, we connect to him. And instead of being hypocrites and moral phonies over time, we're transformed, and we become authentically good people, people who have integrity, which is a word that's related to the word integrated. We become integrated people. What we say and what we believe and what we do are integrated, and only Jesus makes this 
happen. And I have seen him do it over and over again in my life and in lots of other lives. As I've told some of you before, when I, when I went to college, I was so shy that I couldn't bear to live in a dorm. I had to live by myself in an apartment. And now, because of Jesus working in my life, I can stand up and preach in front of you. And, okay, so I'm still a little socially awkward, as I have been told. I understand that. But at least I'm not the raging nerd that I used to be, right? Making, you should have seen me before, right? I mean, we're making, it was awkward. We're making progress. I used to never think about caring for the poor. Never entered my mind. But over the years, I kept feeling this internal nudging to care for the poor. That was the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus himself living inside of me, nudging me to become more like him. And over the years, I obeyed those nudgings. And now I'm a person who cares for the poor both in word and deed. That's Jesus. That doesn't always happen, right? You start out not caring for the poor, you end up not caring for the poor. Except when Jesus is involved. Jesus transforms us. Four years ago, my wife and I were on vacation from California with our kids, and we were in eastern Washington, and we were driving a rental car, and we hit a deer with the rental car. And the car was repairable, so our insurance company paid for the repairs. But then the rental car company, after they collected the money for the repairs, decided that they wanted to total the car anyway. And so then they wanted money to pay for the totaled car as well. Well, having already paid for the repairs, the insurance company said, no way. So then the rental car company came after us and charged us $5,000. In other words, they double-dipped, right? Well, we tried a couple of nice conversations to get this cleared up, but that didn't work. And then I lost my temper. First, I called the insurance company, and I just blasted them. I mean, I, I said, listen, I have paid you guys a lot of money over the years, and I'm now wondering what it was for, right? And I'm going to probably, over a lifetime, spend another 100000 or more dollars on insurance. And the question I'm asking myself right now is, are you the, rental car, are you the insurance company that's going to get my $100,000? I thought that was really a good argument. They just snickered. So then I went to the uh, rental car company and I said, listen, you know, you, you guys are double dipping. I mean, we've both paid for a repair and now we have to pay for a totaled car. We've paid for this car twice over. So the way I look at it, I own that car and I want that car. And don't go giving me a hunk of sheet metal. No, 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 no. I have paid for and I want in my possession a two-door Kia Rio sedan that has been hit by a deer 10 miles east of Prescott, Washington. And I want it now. I was terrifying in my rhetoric. They just said, we don't make the rules. Later that night, my wife said to me, you know, and I could tell by the tone in her voice where she was going, and I said, you're not going to give me the Jesus lecture, are you? And she said, yeah. And she said, do we believe that God can take care of us financially? And I said, don't, or something to that effect. And later that night, as I was not sleeping, I felt this subtle pressure inside of me that could only be described as the Holy Spirit, kind of saying, Scott, don't you want to be more than this? I can make you more than this if you'll just cooperate with me. And then to top it off, the next morning I got up and I was working on a sermon on, of all things, not being obsessed with money. So I finally said, okay, Jesus, I get the, the point. So I called both the insurance company and the rental car company. It took me a while, but I found the two people that I yelled, yelled at the day before, and I said to both of them, I said, hey, I'm the guy that yelled at you yesterday. Remember me? Yeah, yeah you'll never guess what I do for a living. Um, yeah, I'm a pastor. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed, would you? No. That's a surprise to you. Um, and I said, I am so ashamed 
I said, I have not shown you who Jesus is. And I apologize for that. I am so ashamed of myself. And then I just let it go. And it all turned out okay. We didn't have to pay the 5K. It all was fine. Here's the thing. When I called those people back, I felt so much better. Because instead of being angry and miserable, I had integrity. I was a person who was integrated. What I said I believed and what I did matched up. But more than that, I was integrated with the Jesus who lives inside of me and who was always there. And he kept saying, Scott, I can make you more than this if you'll just cooperate with me. That was Jesus using an ordinary experience to help transform me. In fact, I think that was the last time I ever lost my temper like that again. Now, I'm not perfect. You know, Jesus is working on me. I mean, we're not there yet. I, you know, we're still working on the come on buddy comments and traffic, right? But we're getting there. Jesus is transforming me from the inside out. And that's what Jesus longs to do for every one of us. A renovation of the heart so that what we say we believe and what we do matches up. Jesus can and he will transform you if you cooperate with him. You can be transformed from the inside out. Are Christians hypocrites? You bet they are. That's rather the point, isn't it? Because you don't need Jesus to die for your sins if you don't have any. The ticket for admission for being here is not that we're good. It's that we're bad. And we need Jesus to forgive us. And we need Jesus to help us become like him. And that's why he comes to liars and cheats and hypocrites like you and like me. People who say one thing and then do another, but at their core, desperately long to be whole. Desperately long to be good. And he says, if you know me, if you follow me, if I am in you, and if you are in me, then you... You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I am making you brand new from the inside out. And in a world of hype and spin and corporate scandals and political scandals and even scandals in the church, that authentic spirit of Jesus growing inside of us will make an understandably skeptical world say in the words of the old hymn, Lord, I want to be a Christian. Where? Not on the outside, but in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Jesus, that is our prayer. That you would make us like you. That you would change us from the inside out so that we would be good. Not phony good, Lord, but like you. Please do this for us and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.